there. I'm Lewis the Artist, and welcome to the very first episode of I'm Sorry If I Scared You. I look forward to telling you some of the things that cloud my mind. Some stories will be short, single shots, and others will be longer and will unfold over time. Our first tale is about a man who was driven to face inner demons that he had believed he had defeated. What starts as a petty act of cruelty can quickly take a turn for the worse. Tonight's story is called Bella. Luis kept to himself. He was the old guy in the mobile home park that everyone avoided. He had never done anything to anyone since moving into the park, but he had something about him that made people stay clear of him. He did tend to complain a lot. He was always calling the property manager's office to complain about noise at night or kids playing in the roadways or whatever was bothering him that day. So most of the residents of the park disliked him and his cat. Bella was an older long-haired cat. She was probably solid black in her youth, but now in the ends of her sometimes matted and scraggly hair touches of light brown and gray. She seemed a perfect match for the old man because she didn't seem to like anyone but Louise. She would hiss and run away from anyone else who would approach her, and she had a particular distaste for children. Many of the kids in the park were afraid of her and called her a witch's cat. Louise worked part-time as a butcher at a carniceria. When he worked, Bella would hang around his trailer, but never ventured too far. She had her own kitty door to get in and out when he wasn't there. On his days off, he and Bella could always be found together. They would often be seen walking around the park together, or sitting on the old man's porch while he smoked weed and listened to classic rock. When Louise left the park, he had a backpack that Bella would sit in and tag along. Louise drove an old Chevy C10 pickup and made a seat for Bella custom to sit in safely while they drove places. Everyone in the park thought it was a little unusual for a grown man to have such a close relationship with an old cat. Despite their reputations in the park, Louise and Bella never bothered anyone until the day those kids threw that party. Summer, Rosa, Willow, and Julian grew up in the park together. Summer, Willow, and Julian were seniors in high school. Rosa was Willow's younger sister, and she was a junior. Summer lived on the opposite side of the park from everyone else. She lived with her father, who worked as a bouncer at multiple bars at various hours. Her mother had run off with her meth dealer when she was six. Willow was non-binary and had been dating Summer since the two of them were freshmen. Willow and Rosa lived with their parents next door to Julian. Their father was a tow truck driver for a repo company, and their mother worked as a bartender, so they grew up taking care of each other, as their parents were often out working at different times and days. Julian's parents were never around much either, 
His father worked multiple jobs to make ends meet, and his mother was in and out of rehab. Julian and Rosa had attempted dating, but they found that growing up together meant they knew each other too well, and dating made them feel how they imagined all those old bitter married couples in the sitcoms must feel. So after only a month during the summer before Rosa's freshman year, they decided they were better off as friends. The winter formal dance was approaching, and the following day, winter break at school would start. The four friends realized that all of their parents were going to be out that night, and they decided to throw a party afterwards. Summer had tried to convince the group to have the party at her place, because most of her neighbors were a little younger, and she was on good terms with all of them. If things got loud or raucous, her neighbors would give them warning before calling the cops. Julian, however, convinced Willow and Rosa that hosting at both of their houses simultaneously was the best way to go. They could have more people over, and there were additional bathrooms to utilize. But they could host a different theme in each place. Summer brought up how close three had lived to Louise. She was worried about the scary guy complaining, maybe even calling the cops. And Julian said that as long as they kept the parties contained inside the two homes, and that people didn't congregate outside, didn't make much noise, everything would be fine. Summer reluctantly agreed on the condition that the party be by invite only. The night of the dance arrived, Julian's date was sophomore, a junior varsity cheerleader named Sasha. And Rosa was attending with a junior named Alex, who was on the track team. As the dance itself was coming to an end, Summer asked Rosa to go to the bathroom with her. When they were in the bathroom, a group of girls entered and were talking about the party at the mobile home park. Summer and Rosa didn't know these girls, and they looked at each other confused as to how they had found out about the party. Summer asked one of them where they had heard about it, and she replied that everyone was talking about it. The two rejoined their group and told them what the girls in the bathroom had said. Summer confronted the group about how many people it had been invited. Sasha admitted that she had told more people than she was supposed to, but didn't understand what the problem was. Summer expressed her concern about the police being called, but the rest of the group insisted that she was worrying too much. The group then left the dance to go home and prepare for everyone's arrival. starting to gather at the two homes. Most of them were people the group did not recognize. As they got out of the cars and attempted to make their way through the crowd to get into the houses, Summer warned them that she was right, and they would not be able to contain the noise. The group continued to insist that everything would be alright once they got the doors open and the people could go inside. A few rows over, Louise sat on his porch with Bella. He was smoking a joint. His house sat on a corner, so he was able to watch as car after car of kids drove by. Each one seemed louder than the previous one. Bella was startled by each car 
and jumped as they drove by. This was starting to irritate Luis. It was almost 10 o'clock. The teens' houses were filled with as many people as could fit, and the crowd spilled out onto the porches, between the two homes, and out onto the streets. Some of the nearby neighbors were starting to peer through their blinds to see what was going on. Summer noticed and tried to warn the host again. She tried to tell them that someone was going to call the police, and they needed to break up the party before it happened. But Julian and Alex were drunk at this point, and refused to let anyone break it up. They told Summer to go home if she didn't want to be there. Willow got in Julian's face at that remark, and he told him they could go too. Willow reminded him that their house was one of the party houses, but Rosa quickly jumped in that it was her house too. Sasha spoke out of line and said that Summer and Willow were worrying too much, and that even if the police were called, they wouldn't respond to a noise complaint at a trailer park. The group split up, leaving Summer and Willow in Willow's house. A few rows over, Luis was laying in bed. The thumping music was annoying him. He had to work in the morning and couldn't sleep. Bella sat on the window ledge, looking out with eyes wide open at the cars going by and the kids stumbling around. Luis was beginning to get angry. He got out of bed and put on a shirt and flip-flops. He decided he was going to see where the noise was coming from. He told Bella to stay put and he would be right back. The cat laid down on the window ledge. Louise walked down the street through the lane of illegally parked cars toward where the kids were outside. He could see the other residents looking out their windows at him. As soon as they made eye contact with him, they quickly pulled their curtains or blinds. Louise knew exactly who lived in those houses. Summer and Willow had made their way outside and appeared to be arguing. Louise recognized them and knew that Willow's house was one of the houses where the parties were taking place. Louise approached the two and asked what was going on. They explained that the party was meant to be a small group of friends by invite only and that word had mistakenly got out. Louise told them he didn't care and that they were being unfair to everyone in the trailer park. Summer and Willow attempted to apologize and said they were trying to convince people to break up the party, but Luis warned if they didn't break it up within the next 20 minutes, he was going to call the police and he would talk to their parents. Summer and Willow tried to assure Luis that they would get things under control, but as Luis turned to leave, Julian intervened. Julian got in Luis's face. Luis could smell the alcohol on him, and it was easy to tell that he was drunk. Sasha, Rosa, and Alex all ran toward them, and Alex put his hand on Julian's shoulder. Luis tried to back away and told Julian to go to sleep it off, and that he knew there was the other house involved. Julian pushed Luis and cursed him. He told him to go home and mind his own business. He yelled at Luis and said all that he ever did is smoke weed 
with a stupid cat and complain about everything. Louise backed away slowly. He stared the group down with a look that sent chills down all their backs. Then he turned and walked away. Summer explained again that she had warned them that they needed to break up the party right away, but Julian, Sasha, Alex, and Rosa were drunk and they remained defiant and told Summer and Willow that they were just trying to ruin a good time. Julian told them not to worry about the old man, that he would just complain to the property manager just like he always did. SUV pulled into the park and headed straight toward the party. As it approached, the kids began to scatter. Summer and Willow stood outside the two houses as the police approached, intent on owning up to the party. The officers got out of their vehicle and Summer and Willow approached them. They apologized and explained that they had been trying to break up the party. The kids ran in all directions. Some got in the cars and drove away and some just ran. Just as the two officers were about to let everyone go with a warning, Julian intervened again. He began screaming about how the police had been called and that it must have been the grouchy old cat man that had done it. He cursed the officers and Luis and even his friends that were attempting to smooth things over with the police. One of the officers began to approach Julian and they told him to calm down. He put his hand on Julian's shoulder and Julian pulled away violently, yelling at the officer for touching him. Then the officer grabbed Julian from behind and placed handcuffs on him. The two officers announced to the remaining stragglers that the party was over and that they didn't want to be arrested to leave. Everyone had left except for the host group and their dates. The officers sat Julian down on the steps of his house and called his father at work. A short time later, Julian's father arrived home. His anger towards Julian was apparent as he got out of his truck and approached the officers and his son. The rest of the group kept their distance as Julian's father spoke with the officers about what had happened. After a few moments and some information exchange, the officers got into their vehicle and left. Julian's father yelled at him for what he had done and for the fact that he had to leave work to come home and sort this out. He told Julian that he had made a deal with the officers to keep him from being arrested that night, but that he would have to appear before the judge in a few days. Julian and his father argued about this for a few minutes, and then his father yelled at him to shut his mouth, and then he had to go back to work. He looked over at Julian's friends and told them all to go home. He looked at Willow and Rosa and told them he would be speaking to their parents the next time he saw them. He got under his truck and yelled at Julian to go inside and go to bed. Then he drove away. Julian walked up the stairs of his home and he opened the door. He turned back to look at his friends. They gazed at each other for a moment. Then something else caught Julian's attention. He noticed a few rows down that Luis was standing on his porch holding his cat, watching. Julian looked back at his friends 
Now he appeared angry. He checked to see if his father was out of the park, and then he walked over to his friends. He pointed at Luis, and the group all turned to see him. He held eye contact for a brief moment, and then turned and went inside his house. Julian shouted about how all of this was Luis's fault, and that they needed to be able to get back at him. The group argued, but intoxication prevailed. Alex and Sasha agreed to help Julian. Rosa did too reluctantly. Summer and Willow attempted to talk them out of it, to no avail. Instead, Willow agreed to go along and attempt to keep an eye on Rosa. Summer, thinking she may still be able to talk them out of doing something stupid, also agreed to go along. The group went to Julian's house. They stood in the kitchen. As he went to the bathroom and came back with a bottle of pills. He then reached into a cupboard and pulled out a can of tuna. He explained to the group that he knew where some of his mother's stashes were and his father was unaware of them. The pills were Percocets. Summer asked what he was planning and Julian explained that his plan was to catch the cat and defeat it. He then took a tenderizer mallet out of the drawer and smashed three of the pills on the counter. He opened the can of tuna and brushed the powder into it and stirred it. Summer urged him to stop. He was going to hurt the cat. He yelled that it was just an old Meiji cat and that Luis deserved it for calling the police on them. Julian charged out the door and the group followed. Summer continued her attempts to get Julian to calm down, but he ignored her. They made their way toward Luis's house, and Julian gave the orders to surround the house and keep watch for the cat. Summer stayed close to him, thinking she may be able to thwart his attempts. The group waited, but no sign of the cat for quite some time. As some of the group grew restless, Sasha noticed the cat sitting in one of the windows watching them. She signaled Julian pointed at the cat in the window. Julian cursed the cat to come outside, but the cat remained in the window and laid her head down to sleep. Convinced this would put an end to Julian's rampage, Summer tried once again to get the group to leave. She tried to scare them by saying Louise may wake up and catch them outside. Sasha continued to push things, but Julian finally agreed to let things go and leave. The group gathered in the roadway and began to head back to Julian's house. Julian paused, and when no one was paying attention, he placed the can of tuna on Luis's porch, and then hurried to meet with the rest of the group. Early the next morning, Luis got ready for work. He showered and dressed and made his coffee. Bella was sitting next to the coffee maker as usual. Luis retrieved a can of cat food from the cupboard and opened it. He dumped it into Bella's dish and placed it in front of her. 
She didn't seem interested in it. He was a little concerned and asked her if the cat was okay. She appeared a little sluggish, but she was old and would act like this from time to time. He left the food and served his coffee. He pet and kissed Bella and told her that he would see her after work. As he got into his truck, he failed to notice the empty can of tuna laid on the ground next to the porch. As Louise drove off, Julian stood on his porch, watching. Sasha was asleep on his bed. Alex tried to spend the night with Rosa, but Willow made him leave after they walked Summer home. Julian waited until the old man's truck was completely out of his view, and he turned and went inside. Later that day, Louise returned home from work. He entered his home and put his coffee cup in the sink. He took off his jacket and hung it over a chair. Then he noticed that Bella's food dish had remained untouched. Concerned, he immediately began calling for the cat. He began looking around the house for her as he called. As he entered his bedroom, he stopped in his tracks and stopped breathing momentarily in what he saw. He found Bella. She was laying on his bedroom floor. She was on her side, her eyes open, her mouth partially open. Her tongue dangled out the side of her mouth. Louise screamed the cat's name in a voice that was driven by primal sorrow. He rushed to the cat and picked her up. She was stiff and cold. Louise held her to his chest. He screamed her name over and over again in agony, but she did not respond. She was gone. invited her in. 
He walked over to the kitchen and offered Summer a glass of water. She declined respectfully, and Louise asked her to have a seat at the table. The two sat, and Summer nervously asked him if he knew where his cat was. Louise got a glare in his eyes that Summer felt burn a hole through her as he asked her why she wanted to know. She told him about Julian's plan the night before, and that she thought she had talked him out of it, but she was worried about finding the empty tuna can. Louise stood up and walked over to the sink. Summer sat anxiously waiting for him to say something. He reached up into the cabinet and got a glass down. He served himself some water from the sink and drank it down. Then he turned around and glared at Summer again. She began to feel afraid. Louise told her that he had found Bella when he got home and that she was dead. He turned and placed the glass in the sink and walked towards Summer. He stopped and stood next to her. She gazed up at him and grew more nervous as he stood there for a moment, just staring into space. He looked down at her and thanked her for telling him the truth about everyone, everyone that was involved. Then he placed his hand on her forehead. She barely had time to start to scream before he pushed her head back and her neck snapped over the back of the chair. Louise picked up Summer's lifeless body and carried her to his bedroom. He opened the closet door and placed her inside. He closed the closet and took his phone out of his pocket. He called the police and told them that some kids in the park had killed his cat. The dispatcher told him they'd send an officer out to take a report, but that it may take a while to get one out. Louise told the dispatcher that he would wait. He ended the call and walked over to the bed. He stroked Bella's head and began to cry again. He wrapped her in the blanket, picked her up, then he went outside and sat on his porch to wait for the police. A few hours later, a police SUV arrived in the park pulled up to Luis's house and the officers got out. It was the same officers from the night before and they didn't seem pleased to be in the park again. Luis was still sitting on the porch holding and caressing Bella. The officers approached Luis and asked him what had happened. Luis explained to them that he had come home to find Bella dead and the empty tuna can on his porch. He told them he suspected that the kids who had thrown the party the night before had poisoned her. The officers rolled their eyes and looked at each other. They told Luis that unless he had definitive evidence, 
There was really nothing they could do. They told him it was just a cat, and they should get over it and just get another one. They complained to each other about having to work double shifts just to deal with calls like this. Louise glared at the officers. They told them to have a good day as they headed back to their vehicle. As the officers drove away, the manager of the park walked toward Louise's house. He stopped and looked at the officers as they drove by, and they waved at him. He turned and saw Louise still sitting on the porch and began to approach him. He asked Louise why the police were there. Louise told him about Bella and that he suspected the kids who had thrown the party and poisoned her. He demanded to know why the manager allowed the party to happen. The manager told him that he had gone home for the evening and had no knowledge of the party. Then he told Louise that he didn't like when cops came to the park, that he gave the park a bad image, and he would not tolerate it, and he scoffed at the idea of Louise calling the police over a cat and walked away. the office and walked to his house. He lived on site, and it was just a short walk. A few times along the walk, he felt the discomfort of being watched. I turned to check behind him, only to find no one there. He got to his house and went inside, turned on the TV, and then looked in the pantry for something to make for dinner. He decided on spaghetti and took a box out of the pantry. He took a pot out of the cabinet and filled it with water and placed it on the stove to boil. He thought he'd heard a noise over the TV and looked around. He checked out a window as well but saw nothing. He walked over to the TV and stood in front of it, watching while he waited for the water to boil. After a few minutes, he could hear the water starting to boil and walked back over to the stove to add the spaghetti. But when he got there, the box of pasta was missing. He looked around in bewilderment, wondering where it had gone. Then he heard the sound of the box shaking. He turned to see Louise behind him, shaking the box. Then Louise hit him in the face with the box and grabbed him by the hair. Louise pushed him over the stove with unimaginable strength. The manager was helpless in his grip. Louise began to push the manager's face down toward the pot of boiling water. The manager tried to resist, putting his hand on the stove and pushing back. But Louise was far too strong. Slowly as the manager screamed for mercy, Louise forced his face into the pot. The manager thrashed. His face hit the scalded water. Louise held him steady in the water despite the fact that the water was burning him as well. After only a few moments, the manager stopped moving, and Louise pulled him up out of the water and slammed him to the floor. 
manager's blistered face was unrecognizable. Louise turned off the stove and left. table stood an old porcelain cat. 
It stood up straight with its ears pointed. Louise forced Willow over the little cat statue. At that moment, Willow realized why this was happening and again begged for mercy. Louise pulled Willow's hair and stood them straight up and then slammed their face down onto the little cat statue. Louise released his grip and took a step back. Willow fell over sideways onto the floor. The little cat statue did not shatter. It remained intact and lodged deeply in Willow's right eye. and Rosa were sitting on the couch in Rosa's living room. As the two kissed, Alex's hands constantly wandered and Rosa giggled and pushed them away. He tried to convince her to go to the bedroom, but she told him no because she was afraid that Willow might return with Summer soon. He explained to her that it had been quite some time since he had ran into Willow on the roadway. He eventually convinced Rosa that Willow and Summer were probably doing the same thing he was trying to get her to do and the two got up and went to Rosa's bedroom. Alex playfully jumped under the bed and Rosa shut the door. She told Alex they needed to hurry just in case anyone decided to come home. Alex agreed and the two quickly disrobed and climbed into bed. A few minutes later, Rosa thought she heard a noise and told Alex to stop. She told him that she was afraid Willow would come home but he told them just to keep quiet for a moment so they could listen. After a few moments of silence, Alex convinced Rosa that she was just paranoid and it was all in her imagination. He went back to doing what he was doing and Rosa relaxed and closed her eyes for a moment. She opened them again as she thought she heard a noise and noticed that the bedroom door was open. She shouted at Alex that someone was in the room, but he didn't quite comprehend what she said due to his physical distractions. He looked down at her confused, and then someone slammed his face down against Rosa's. The two cried out in pain as both of their noses began to pour blood. Their faces slammed together again. Through her tears, Rosa could now see that Louise was sitting on Alex's back and he had him by the hair. He slammed their faces together again. Rosa felt the bridge of her nose cave in. Alex choked on his own blood. Rosa could see that some of his teeth had been knocked out and realized that some of hers had as well. She tried to cry out, to beg Louise to stop, but only gurgles came out of her blood-filled mouth. Louise slammed their faces together again and Rosa stopped moving and making noise. Alex's vision cleared up just long enough for him to look down and see Rosa's head with its now unrecognizable face smashed in. He could feel his own face was also smashed in and gasped for air through what was left of his mouth. He managed to whisper what sounded like Rosa's name 
as Louise smashed their faces together one final time and left them where they laid. Sasha and Julian were laying in his bed together. Sasha thought she heard some screaming come from next door and joked that one of the other couples must be doing what they had just done. Julian's dad went straight from one job to another, so the two had been able to spend the entire night and the next day together, so far. Julian was getting bored with Sasha, however, and he was trying to find an excuse to get her to leave. Julian got out of bed and proclaimed that he was going to roll a cone from his dad's stash. Sasha told him to hurry back because she wanted to go another round. He gave her a thumbs up and left the bedroom. Sasha laid in bed and looked around Julian's room. Julian sat at the kitchen table, put on headphones, and began rolling a cone. Sasha heard a light knock on the window. She called out, but there was no reply. Another knock followed. She assumed it was one of their friends coming over from next door and went to the window. She opened the blind, but couldn't see anyone, so she slid the window open. There was no screen, so she poked her head out and called out again. But when she got her head out the window, she was shocked to look down and see Louise standing there. He reached up and grabbed her head and pulled her throat down against the windowsill. Sasha struggled and tried to scream, but Julian sat at the table, smoking, with his headphones still on. Sasha tried to pull back, but Luis's strength was unbelievable. He pulled down on Sasha's head, and in just a few moments, he crushed her throat, and her neck popped. Pushed her back into the window, and her lifeless body slumped to the floor. Then he climbed into the window. Julian sat at the table smoking and listening to music. He wasn't concerned that he had left Sasha alone for so long because he had gotten what he wanted from her, and he was just avoiding her now. He finished the cone and put the filter into an empty beer can. Then he got up to go back to the bedroom. He was thinking about just telling Sasha to leave. When he opened the door, Sasha was lying in the bed face down. She appeared to be sleeping. Her naked body was barely covered in a blanket, and she was in a position that Julian found provocative. He decided to have her one more time before he'd make her leave, and climbed on top of her. He kissed her back and made his way up to her neck, but he realized something wasn't right when she didn't respond. He said her name, and again she didn't respond. He shook her a little and said her name again. Still no response. He turned her over, which wasn't easy, and he realized why when he 
they saw the bruises on her throat and her bloodshot eyes. He jumped back and shouted in terrified disbelief. He stood and stared at Sasha dumbfounded for a brief moment. Then the closet door flung open. Julian didn't even have enough time to turn around and Luis had his arm around his neck in a chokehold. Julian squirmed and tried to fight, but Luis tightened his grip around Julian's neck. Luis's arm squeezed Julian like a python until he saw his vision began to blur. He was sure he was dying. Then he blacked out completely. A few moments later, Julian awoke. He was sitting up in the chair he had been smoking in, and he was bound to it with plastic wrap. He looked up to see Louise in the kitchen rifling through the cabinets. He attempted to play the tough guy and shouted at Louise, demanding to know what he was doing in his home. Louise ignored and pulled the blender down from one of the cabinets. Julian shouted profanities at him and told him that he was going to prison for killing Sasha and for what he was currently doing. Louise remained quiet and pulled three cans of tuna out of another cabinet. Now Julian resorted to asking what Louise was doing. He shouted that he wouldn't get away with it. Louise then picked up a prescription bottle that had been sitting on the counter. It was the same bottle that Julian had gotten the pills that he crushed in the tuna the night before. Julian wasn't sure what was happening, but he began to panic. Louise opened the cans of tuna and dumped them into the blender. Then he dumped the remainder of the pills from the bottle into the blender as well. He plugged it in and turned it on. Julian tried to shout some more, but Louise just waved him off and gestured that he couldn't hear over the noise of the blender. A few moments later, Louise turned the blender off and removed the pitcher from the base. He carried it over to the kitchen table and set it next to Julian. Julian began to speak again, but Louise held up his index finger, motioning to Julian to wait. Surprisingly, Julian did. Louise opened the cabinet below the kitchen sink and reached in. He retrieved a plunger. He walked over and set it on the table next to the pitcher. Louise then looked around the room. He noticed something and walked toward it. In one corner of the living room, an upright vacuum rested. Louise examined the vacuum and removed an attachment from it. It was one of the short pipe extensions. He walked over and set it on the table next to the pitcher of tuna and pulled another chair out, positioning it in front of Julian. He sat down and the two stared at each other in silence for a few minutes. Julian finally spoke first. He asked what Louise was doing. He attempted to get under his skin, but Louise just sat, staring coldly at Julian. When Julian was finished speaking, Louise took his turn. He picked up the pitcher of tuna and asked Julian, if that was what he used to kill Bella. He explained to Julian that he didn't expect him to answer, 
but that he knew everything. He put the pitcher down and picked up the vacuum pipe. He told Julian that Summer had confessed for all of them and what he had done to her. Then he told him about all of the others he had visited that day. Each time he told Julian about one of them, he hit him across the face with the vacuum pipe. Julian continued to play the tough guy and acted like neither the strikes nor the news of all his friends fazed him. But his eyes told Louise different. Louise went silent for a moment and then stared off into space. When he broke his gaze, he turned in toward Julian and held up the pipe. He told Julian that he wasn't planning on getting away with any of it. Then he stood quickly, jabbed Julian in the abdomen with the pipe. Julian yelped, and Louise quickly shoved one end of the pipe into his mouth. Louise then pulled Julian's head back and began forcing the pipe deeper into his mouth. Julian began to gag and blood began to trickle out of the corners of his mouth as Louise pushed down with all his might. Then suddenly, he stopped. He reached over and grabbed a pitcher of tuna. He looked Julian in the eyes and began to pour the tuna into the pipe. Julian gagged as the tuna began to hit his throat. When he tried to kick and break free, the plastic wrap held him in place. Louise filled the pipe with the tuna, then reached for the plunger. He turned it over and shoved the handle into the pipe and began to thrust it repeatedly and vigorously. Julian rocked back and forth violently because it was all that he could do. After a few moments, Julian stopped rocking and Louise let go of the plunger. Julian struggled to breathe was too weak to move. Louise leaned down next to his ear and told him that he would let the pills finish him. Then he exited Julian's house and walked home. got to his house, he went to the bedroom. He took one of his work shirts out of the closet and wrapped Belle in it snugly, leaving only her face visible. He carried her to his truck and got in and drove away. There was a creek nearby that he used to take her to on her leash. They would sometimes spend hours there, just relaxing in the shade and listening to the water run. He found one of her favorite spots to sit under a tree and began to dig. When the grave was sufficiently deep, Louise picked up Bella and cradled her in his arms like a baby. He began to cry and let out a scream that was a mixture of absolute pain mixed with unfathomable anger. He kissed Bella on the forehead and gently placed her into the grave. He covered her with dirt and built a cairn of rocks on top of her. He picked the biggest, flattest rock he could find and wrote her name on it with a marker. He placed the stone on top of the cairn and returned to his truck.
two officers were getting tired of coming to this same trailer park. Their SUV pulled into the park, and as they made their way to the lot number they were given, they quickly remembered where they were going. They immediately took to joking about the crazy old cat guy as they pulled up to the house. They sat in the vehicle and began to discuss how they would handle him this time. As they debated, Louise pulled up in his truck and positioned it, pinning the police SUV where it sat. The officers couldn't open the doors because of the positioning, and they rolled their windows down and began to yell at Louise to move his vehicle. As they yelled, Louise got out of his truck and retrieved a can of lacquer thinner and a road flare from the bed. He opened the lacquer thinner and threw it into the driver's window of the SUV. Before the officers realized what had happened, Louise lit the road flare and tossed it into the window as well. Then he just began to walk away. The two officers screamed as the flare lit the interior of the SUV ablaze. The driver tried to use the vehicle to push the old truck out of the way so they could open the door to the flames and reach the can of lacquer thinner. And it burst open, splashing fire all over both of them. The officers screamed as the flames engulfed the interior of the vehicle. The fire then began to spread to Louise's truck and to his trailer. Louise continued to casually walk away, not even looking over her shoulder. A short time later, Louise walked into a police station. He walked up to the window, and the officer at the window asked what he needed. Louise told the officer that he had killed several people that day, and that he was there to turn himself in. The shocked officer called for more officers, and within a moment, two of them came out of the door and walked up to Louise. He held his wrists up to them, and they took him into custody. A little while later, a homicide detective arrived at the station. He was briefed on Louise's claims. He was also told that officers had been dispatched and confirmed all of the bodies, including the two police officers. The detective asked the arresting officers if Louise had mentioned why he had done these things, and they told them that Louise said he would explain to the detective. The detective was then led into the interrogation room where Louise was being held. He entered the room and told the other officers that he'd take it for a few minutes. The other officers left the room and the detective sat at the table across from Louise. He didn't even have time to say anything before Louise asked if he was the detective. He replied that he was and Louise immediately began his story. Luis is Juan Delgado. I moved here 14 years ago when I first found my Bella. Before I found her, I lived across the country where I killed nine people. They called me the handyman killer. 
obviously never caught me. I thought I must admit they came close. Then I found my Bella. She was a stray kitten that began to follow me home from the market one day. As soon as I picked her up, I found the peace that my soul had been looking for. I felt remorse for the lives I had taken, but I thought that I could put it behind me and finally be happy and free. And I was, until those kids took my Bella from me. Then the rage came back. I took those lives today for vengeance. But the rage was not put to rest. So here I am. Please. Stop me from doing it again. Louise had found peace and just wanted to be left alone. It's not easy to see the pain or anger people may harbor inside. Thank you again for joining me for this tale called Bella, inspired by true events. Rest in peace, Bella the Backpack Kitty. Until next time. I'm sorry if I scared you.